Welcome back to my Bible study podcast, From Hevel to Eternity. I'm Brian, and today we're going to continue our walk through the Minor Prophets. We're currently on the next to last book, the book of Zechariah. Instead of the normal overview episode and then a geek out session approach, we're spending a few episodes to work through some of the themes that are found throughout this book. These theme episodes will have some application, but they're going to be pretty scripture heavy since we're not able to read through the entire book. Don't worry though, next week we'll focus on how all of these themes directly link to the gospel and then how to take some application out of these themes. Zechariah takes place just after the Israelites return to Jerusalem following their exile in Babylon. God, through the prophet, proclaims a message of judgment on the enemies of Israel, but he also proclaims these ties of hope, encouragement, and future restoration through the Messianic king from the line of David. The five themes that we're focusing primarily on are a judgment on the people, a call toward the people, an encouragement to the people, restoration for the people, and the coming Messiah of the people. These are themes relevant to the people of Israel at that time, but also to all of God's people across all of time. The first two theme episodes covered the first four themes. Today we're going to cover the final theme, the coming of the Messiah who will bring salvation to those who place their faith in him. Every book of the Bible points toward Jesus, but this is the theme where Zechariah might just stand above all the other minor prophets. Remember, this book was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene, bore our sins on the cross, and was resurrected to the right hand of the Father. The Old Testament frequently included descriptions of what the Messiah would do, and we read of Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophetic descriptions throughout the New Testament. So as we walk through this theme, we're going to do a lot of scripture hopping across the whole Bible. So just bear with me while we do that. I pray that this episode helps us to see that every book of the Old Testament points toward the Messiah, and that that Messiah is in fact Jesus I also pray that these verses will help us to see better the characteristics of Jesus the Christ and to lead us into deeper worship of him. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, even on a colt the foil of a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So we'll start here with probably the most recognizable messianic verse from the book of Zechariah. It's the verse that finds its fulfillment upon Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Matthew 21, 5 says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. It's a cross-reference directly from Zechariah 9.9. Jesus would be the king, whose initial coming would be gentle and humble on a mere donkey, as opposed to loud and triumphant. The New Testament is full of passages describing Jesus as being gentle and humble. Read passages like Matthew 11, verses 28-30, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, and anywhere in Philippians chapter 2 so that you can see the New Testament's descriptions of him. And then as you meditate on this verse, 
Here are the characteristics of Jesus the Messiah being described. He is lowly, meaning humble, meek, poor, afflicted. He is righteous, that word sedic, which we've talked about before, meaning just, lawful, correct. It's often used to describe the divine attribute of the just judgment of God. He also brings with him salvation and redemption, offering those who turn to him a right relationship with God the Father. And then he is described as king, ruler and leader who we will read in Zechariah 9.10 will have a dominion over all of the nations. Notice what the verse is calling its listeners to do. We are called to sing and rejoice and shout out praise and worship for Jesus because of who he is and what he has accomplished with his finished work on the cross. In the book of Zechariah, the Messiah is described as the servant, the branch, and the cornerstone, all of which are descriptions of Jesus himself. Hear now, Joshua the high priest, you and your fellows who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. So both of these servant and branch descriptions, they're picked up in other places of the Old Testament. The Messiah as God's servant, who is able to do what God's previous servant Israel could not, it's picked up in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 12, at the start of the famous suffering servant passage. Behold, my servant shall deal wisely, he shall be exalted and lifted up, and shall be very high. The Messiah as the righteous branch, it also comes up in both the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 4.2 says that in that day, Yahweh's branch will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the beauty and glory of the survivors of Israel. Then Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6 and Jeremiah 33 verse 15 say, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will raise to David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In these days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name by which he shall be called, Yahweh our righteousness. Then in those days, and at that time, I will cause a branch of righteousness to grow up to David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So the branch will reign as king and ruler. He is divine and human. He is righteous and just. Then we'll pick scripture back up in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Thus says Yahweh of armies, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of Yahweh. Even he shall build the temple of Yahweh, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So there's this branch thing again, this branch guy again. He's coming to build the Lord's temple and to sit on the throne. See Revelation where the Lamb is the temple sitting on the throne in the New Jerusalem. We also see that this branch will also combine the offices of high priest and king, which under the old Jerusalem, high priest and king were separate offices. Well, this Messiah, the branch, he's going to combine those two. 
and almost the entire book of Hebrews describes Jesus as the new and greater king and our great high priest, greater than everything else. And I'll probably touch on this in the Geek Out episode, but it also deepens a much earlier passage about the priest king Melchizedek, who ruled over Jerusalem way back in Genesis 14. Jesus is the new and greater priest king who will come again in glory to rule over Jerusalem and all of the world. The Messianic king in Zechariah is also described as the cornerstone. Zechariah 10.4 describes that from the nation of Israel, from the Lion of Judah, shall come forth the cornerstone, which we see used by Peter to describe Jesus himself when he was talking to a Jewish audience in Acts chapter 4. Reading the ESV translation, picking up in Acts 4.10, we hear, Let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As familiar as the concepts of a triumphal entry on a donkey and the Messiah being the servant and the branch might be to some of us, Messiah is also found in other, more subtle ways throughout this book. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its engraving, says Yahweh of armies, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says Yahweh of armies, you will invite every man, his neighbor, under the vine and under the fig tree. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So the single stone with seven eyes, it's another messianic reference. Jesus as the cornerstone is also divine. The seven eyes imagery possibly is a description of his omniscience and his absolute judgment, with seven being the ancient number for perfection, completion, and absoluteness. The verse also says the Messiah will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. So this is Jesus bearing our iniquity on the cross. And this action would also open the door to all people to be grafted into the vine and to come under the fig tree of God's salvation. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul describes the inclusion of Gentiles into the kingdom of God as being grafted into the vine. Then later in chapter 11, Paul actually describes how one day Israel, the natural vine, will be brought back to Jesus and saved. These verses also allude to Jesus' second coming to redeem the nation of Israel itself and to the peace and prosperity that will be ushered in during Jesus' millennial reign. Zechariah chapter 8 verses 20 through 23 then go on to say, Thus says Yahweh of armies, Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to entreat the favor of Yahweh, and to seek Yahweh of armies. I will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations will come to seek Yahweh of armies in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of Yahweh. 
Thus says Yahweh of armies, In those days ten men will take hold out of all the languages of the nations. They will take hold of the skirt of him who is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So when the iniquity of the land is removed and the door of salvation is opened to people from all the nations, we see in this verse that many peoples from many nations, from all the nations in fact, will come seeking God in Jerusalem. They're going to follow other believers as guides that lead them to the Messiah. And we see this literally happen with Jesus himself in the New Testament, when out of faith a woman seeks out Jesus and she merely touches the skirt of his garment to receive healing. Notice the word choices too. Even many strong nations will come seek Yahweh of armies and will take hold of his clothing saying, we will go with you. There is this verbiage we see all across the New Testament of the mighty and the powerful, the strong nations, being humbled before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's just amazing how much even these seemingly obscure and hard-to-follow passages, they hyperlink straight back to Jesus. Zechariah also describes the true shepherd, our shepherd, across all of its pages. Zechariah 11 describes a flock that was being led to slaughter because of poor leadership and oppression by bad shepherds. God declares that he is stepping in, and in Zechariah 11.7 starts by saying, So I fed the flock of slaughter, especially the oppressed of the flock. So this good shepherd would tend to the flock, but he would be rejected by that same flock, similar to what we hear in other places of the Bible. Isaiah 53.3 says he was despised, and he was rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with disease. He was despised as one from whom men hid their face, and we didn't respect him. John 1.11 says he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So this rejection continues being described in Zechariah 13.7, even going so far as to declare that God himself would bring men against this shepherd and that sheep would be scattered because of it. The start of Zechariah 14.11 then declares, Awake sword against my shepherd and against the man who is close to me, says Yahweh of armies. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So, pause for a second. This is an amazing word that the rejection of God's Son, the Shepherd, the true Shepherd, it would come through the actions of God the Father. But that is also affirmed in Isaiah 53 when it says, Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our sufferings, yet we considered him plagued, struck by God, and afflicted. And then later in Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He has caused him to suffer. So this idea that God the Father himself is the one who pushes this punishment upon God the Son so that the sheep would be scattered when this affliction of the shepherd occurs is also affirmed in the New Testament scripture and in historical evidence of the catalyst behind Christianity's spread. Matthew 26.31 says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And that same cross-reference is also used in Mark 14.27. Jesus himself picks up that badge of being the good shepherd in John 10.11. I am the good shepherd, he says. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There are even connections to the betrayal of Jesus the Messiah found in the book of Zechariah. I said to them, if you think it best, give me my wages, and if not, keep them. So they weighed for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Yahweh said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price that I was valued at by them. I took the 30 pieces, and I threw them at the potter in the house of Yahweh. Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. So if 30 pieces of silver is causing alarm bells to go off in your head, then it shows up in the New Testament as the price that Judas initially sold out Jesus for, which he then ended up returning to the priests in grief, and which the priests then used to buy the potter's field. So he threw them, they threw them at the potter. So what was 30 pieces of silver equivalent to? Well, in Exodus 21.32, the law says that if the bull gores a male servant or a female servant, 30 shekels of silver shall be given to their master, and the ox shall be stoned. Leviticus 27.4 says that 30 shekels was the valuation of a female slave to be sold at market. So maybe inflation did its thing between Exodus and Leviticus and here in Zechariah, but 30 pieces of silver was not a very high sum of money. It was apparently enough to purchase a female slave, to repay a master if your bull happens to gore one of his servants, or enough to betray the Messiah himself. Jesus, the Messiah, he's also the fountain opened for us, the provider of living waters flowing out of Jerusalem. So Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they will look to me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for his only son, and will grieve bitterly for him, as one grieves for his firstborn. And then Zechariah 13.1 says, In that day there will be a spring opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. So in the New Testament, John 19.34 says that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out of it. That's NLT translation, by the way. John Piper describes that the fountain that had to be opened was not the neck of an animal, but the pierced side of the Son of God. So the fountain of Jesus wasn't just poured out for those immediately around the area. Zechariah 14.8 declares it will happen in that day that living waters will go out from Jerusalem. So these living waters is exactly what Jesus used to describe the gift that he can provide to those who place their faith and trust in him. John 4.10 says, Jesus answered the woman, If you knew the gift of God and who, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And John 4.14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst again. But the water that I give will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. 
John 7 verses 37 to 38 say, Now on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from within him will flow rivers of living water. And then lastly, Revelation 22 verse 1 says that he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So through Jesus, we can receive living waters which spring up to eternal life. All we have to do is believe in him. Then, the last messianic area that I'll address is kingship and authority. So when speaking about the king who would come to Zion, the end of Zechariah 9 verse 10 declares, He will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So this is very similar language to Isaiah chapter 9, that famous Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end on the throne of David and on his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from that time on, even forever. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So both are a nod to the Davidic covenant, that the ruler from the line of David will have an everlasting rule, that that ruler and the Messiah are one in the same person. So in Zechariah 9, 9, we see a humble Jesus fulfilling a prophecy in his first coming. And then here in Zechariah 9.10, we see King Jesus, who will fulfill this prophecy in his second coming. Then in verse 11, Zechariah goes on to say, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I have set free your prisoners from the pit in which is no water. So during the Last Supper, Luke 22.20 says, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He also says at the start of his ministry that he has come to set the captives free, both of which are part of Zechariah 9.11 and fulfill that verse. Then we get really eschatological with Zechariah really highlighting the end times. Zechariah 14.7 says, It will be a unique day which is known to Yahweh, not day and not night, but it will come to pass that at evening time there will be light. So it's running down the thread that the Messiah's return will cover this area where there will be no longer any night or darkness. And in the end of the book of Revelation, we get a statement that after Jesus' second coming, the new Jerusalem will come down, and there will be no curse anymore. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no night, and they will need no lamplight, for the Lord God will illuminate them. They will reign forever and ever. So the book of Zechariah points forward. It points to Jesus' first coming and to his future second coming. 
It describes Jesus, our Messiah, in so much detail. Pound for pound, the book of Zechariah might be the most messianic book in the entire Old Testament. I mean, Isaiah is great and it has some wonderful imagery, but Isaiah is 66 chapters, and while in just 14 chapters, Zechariah really brings it. Arno Gabilian, whose name I might have mispronounced, he says, Zechariah has more to say about Christ, his person, his work, and his glory than all the other minor prophets combined. As we read through Zechariah, we see Jesus across its pages, and it reminds us that in the end our God wins and our Savior will reign forever and ever. The ESV translation of Zechariah 14.9 declares, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. I think there was one I mentioned that was NLT and a couple that were ESV. Next episode, we'll dive into some of the application of the book and how all of these themes are spotlighted by the gospel. Until next time, though, I love y'all.